This is episode number 37 of the Society Life podcast in another edition of Conversations with Al. What I'm going to be reading today is a piece that I found in Ryan Holiday's new book called Stillness is the Key. For those of you that know me, yes, I have started to slowly get into reading, which has been a hard habit to address, but been doing it and um, I've actually found a desire to read certain things. So uh, this stood out to me. Is it because it stood out to me because this is something that I have been trying to deal with probably the past two years about and I've had multiple episodes about core values. Um, Another term for them would be your personal virtues, um, that kind of stuff. So this segment is kind of something that kind of hits along those lines it's more of a a story uh from the chapter and the title of it is called the domain of the soul in retrospect it was one of the finest moments in golf perhaps in all of sports in june 2008 tiger woods birdied the final hole of the u.s open at torrey pines just north of san diego to force an 18-hole playoff. He took an early three-stroke lead but surrendered it, only to come back charging back to birdie again and force force 46-year-old Rocco Mediate, I apologize if I read that wrong, into a head-to-head sudden death round. On that on that 488-yard par 4 Tiger Woods would birdie in a final time to win his third U.S. Open and his 14th major, the second most major victories in the history of the game. And Woods was certainly the first person and likely the last golfer in history to win such a roller coaster match on a torn ACL and a broken leg in two places. To call it a triumph of grit and determination almost undersells Woods' performance because he did it with such poise that no one watching even knew the extent of his injuries. Woods himself knew only of the fractures, not the fact that his knee was basically gone, yet somehow with nearly inhuman mental and physical discipline, he transcended every limit that complex the crushing game of golf had, t- <coughs> had tried and placed on him. And he did it with little more than occasional grimace. We could call this moment the high water mark of Tiger Woods' career. He took a six month leave to recover from emergency knee surgery not long after his mistress, Rachel Uchetel, I believe that's how you say that name, I apologize again, was caught at his hotel room in Australia, and suddenly the secrets of his personal life were no longer secret. When he was confronted by his wife, Tiger, had to tr- Tiger tried to lie his way out of it, but the lies stopped working. Within minutes, Tiger sprawled out on the neighbor's driveway, his SUV crashed into a nearby fire hydrant, and the back window smashed out by a golf club. Unconscious, his wife weeping over him, he was, for a moment, still. In a way he had not been perhaps since he was a baby. It did not last. The nightmare of all nightmares would ensue 21 consecutive covers of the New York Post, the text messages, the affairs with porn stars in Perkins restaurants, fanatic sex in church parking lots, Perkins is a restaurant back east by the way, sex even with the 21-year-old daughters of family friends all made public. The stint in the sex rehab, the loss of a sponsor, and a $100 million divorce, it all nearly broke him as it would break anyone. He wouldn't win another major for a decade. 
on the surface of the ocean, there is stillness. There is a monk, and I cannot pronounce his name, uh, has said of the human condition, but underneath there are currents. So it was for Tiger Woods. This man who had become an icon for his ability to be calm and focused in moments of intense stress, a man with physical discipline to pump the emergency brake on his 129 mile per hour swing, if he had to start over, the champion of the stillest sport was at the mercy of insustainable riptides that lurked beneath placid demeanor. And as any seasoned captain of the sea of his life can tell you, what's happening on the surface of water doesn't matter. It's what's going on below that will kill you. Tiger Woods would stare down opponents in unimaginable pressure, persevere through the countless obstacles in his career. He just couldn't do the same for his own spiritual demons. The seeds of Tiger Woods' undoing was sawn early. His father, Earl, was a complicated man. Born into poverty, Earl Woods lived through the worst of American racism and segregation. He managed to put himself through college and join the Army, where he became a Green Beret in the Vietnam. Beneath the surface of his accomplishment, there were also currents of narcissism, egotism, dishonesty, and greed. A simple example, Earl Woods would return from his second tour in Vietnam with a new wife. A fact he neglected to mention to his wife and three children he already had. When Tiger was born of that second major, or I'm sorry, <laughs> second marriage, Earl Woods was 43 years old and not particularly excited to become a father again. For the first time in Tiger's life, fatherhood would mostly, mostly involved strapping the baby to a high chair while he was hitting golf balls in the garage. It was in fact in watching his father play golf instead of being able to play like a regular kid that he developed his almost unnatural obsession with the game. According to family legend, at nine months old, Tiger slid down from his chair, picked up a club, and hit a golf ball. It's a story that is both cute and utterly abnormal. At age two, Tiger Woods appeared on the Mike Douglas show to show off his golf skills. The audience loved it, but Jimmy Stewart, the other guest that day, was not amused. I've seen too many precious kids like this sweet little boy, he told Douglas backstage, too many starry-eyed parents. Still, his parents' dedication is undoubtedly what allowed Tiger Woods to become a great golfer. Thousands of hours in the garage watching his father hit seared, hit seared that beautiful mechanics of the swing into his mind. The thousands more hours that he had spent on the driving range playing golf, thanks in part, thanks in part to discounted rates Earl got from the military course near his home were instrumental. His parents sacrificed for him, drove him to his tournaments, and hired the best coaches. They didn't stop there. Earl Woods knew the golf was a mental game, so he worked to prepare his son for the ungiving world of sports. Starting when Tiger was about seven, Earl took active measures to develop his son's concentration. Whenever Tiger teared off, Earl would cough, or jingle a change in his pocket, or drop his clubs, or throw a ball at him, or block his line of sight. I wanted to teach him mental toughness, Earl recounted. If he had gotten distracted by just the little things I did, he'd never been able to handle the pressure of a tournament. But as Tiger got older, his training became, even by Earl's admission, an increasingly brutal finishing school. It was boot camp of prisoner of war interrogation techniques and psychological intimidation that no civilized person ought to inflict on another. 
He constantly put me down, Tiger would say later, and he would push me to the breaking point, then back off. It was wild. Yeah, wild. That's what it is for a child to hear his father taunt him as if he tries to play a sport and call him a motherfucker while he's trying to concentrate. Imagine how painful it would be to have your dad tell you to fuck off or ask, how do you feel about being an... I'm not going to say the word. It's racist. Try to rise about... Earl Woods even cheated whenever they played together, supposedly to keep his son humble on the game, on his game. As Tiger reflected, this was all deliberate training to become what his father wanted him to be, a cold-blooded assassin on the course. Now Tiger, who clearly loved his father, said that they had a code word and he could use it with his father if he ever pushed too far. In either their mental or physical training, and all Tiger had to do was say it and Earl would stop. Tiger says he never did because he needed the enjo- needed and enjoyed the training, but even the word itself is illustrative. It wasn't a cute inside joke or some silly word that meant nothing. The word that Tiger could utter to get his father to stop bullying him, to get him to treat him like a normal child, was, if you can believe it, enough. And not only was it never uttered, but the two of them came to refer it almost as an explicit word, the E-word. The E-word was something quitters said that only losers believed in. Are we surprised then that this talented boy who would go on to win so much, but that those wins didn't make him happy? He was impenetrable on the golf course and utterly miserable inside. Tiger's mother taught him lessons too. She told him, you will never, ever ruin my reputation as a parent because I will beat you. Notice the threat of physical violence and what was over, not doing wrong but embarrassing her. Earl Woods, as a husband, showed Tiger early on how to balance his razor's edge too. He cheated on his wife when he traveled with his son. He drank to excess. He even, likely in violation of amateur sporting rules, accepted a secret 50000 a year stipend from IMG, the sports agency that would eventually represent Tiger Woods. The lesson there? Appearances are the only thing that matters. Do whatever it takes to win, just don't get caught. A less talented and dedicated athlete who has been crippled by this abuse, but Tiger Woods was not just naturally gifted. He truly loved golf and he loved the work of it. So he got better and better. By the time he was three, he was beating 10-year-olds. By the time he was 11 years old, he could beat his father regularly on 18 holes. By seventh grade, he was being recruited by Stanford. At Stanford, where he spent two years, Tiger was an All-American and the number one player in the country. By the time he went pro at 20, it was already obvious that he might become the greatest golfer who ever lived. The richest, too. His first contract with Nike and Titleist were worth a combined of $60 million. Tiger Woods' first decade and a half as a pro stands as possibly the most dominant reign ever in any sport. He won everything that he could be he won everything that could be won. 14 majors, 140 tournaments. He was ranked the number 1 golfer in the world for 281 consecutive weeks. He won more than 115 million in the PGA Tour winnings. He won on every continent except for Antarctica. There were for those who were looking for signs of sickness. The thrown golf clubs after a bad hole, the lack of concern for the fans that occasionally imperiled 
the way that he had broken up with his longtime girlfriend by packing up her suitcase and sending it to her parents' hotel with a letter, the way he responded when Steve, when Steve Scott saved him from accidentally scratching in their epic head-to-head match, not even thanking him, not even acknowledging the incredible sportsmanship of it, treating it like the weakness of an inferior prey. The way he left his college team to go pro without even saying goodbye to his teammates. The way, after he had finished eating with his family or friends, he'd simply get up and leave without saying a word. The way he could just cut people out of his life. Woods' golf coach, Hank Haney, would say that over time, Tiger began to understand that anyone who was brought into into his world was lucky and would be playing by his rules. That was... what he had been taught by his parents who raised him both as a kind prince and a prisoner in a psychological experiment. Fame and wealth only added to this. I felt I had worked hard my entire life and deserved deserved to enjoy all the temptations around me, Tiger would say. I felt I was entitled thanks to the money and fame. I I didn't have to go far to find them. We can imagine Tiger Woods, like so many successful people, getting less happy the more he achieved, less freedom, less and less sleep, until it only came with medication. Even with a beautiful, brilliant wife who he, whom loved, he loved, even with two children who he also loved, even as an undisputed champion of his craft, he was miserable, tortured by a spiritual malady and crushing anxiety from which there was no relief. His strong mind was strong, but his soul ached. It ached over his tragic relationship with his father. It ached over the childhood he had lost. It ached because it ached. Why am I not happy, he must have thought. Don't I have everything I ever wanted? It's not simply that Tiger loved to win. It's that for so long, winning was not nearly enough and never could be enough. The E-word. He could tell Charlie Rose winning was fun, beating someone's even better. Tiger said this after his public humiliation, after his multi-year slump, after his stint in sex rehab. He still had not learned. He still could not see what the adi- what this attitude would cost him. Everybody's got a hungry heart, that's true. But how can we choose to feed the heart that matters? It's what determines the kind of person we end up being. What kind of trouble we'll get into, and whether we'll be full weather will be really still. When Tiger Woods' father died in 2006, Tiger's affairs went into overdrive. He spent time in clubs, partying, instead of at home with his family. His behavior on the course grew worse, more standoffish, more angrier. He also began to spend unusual amounts of times with Navy SEALs, indulging in any impossible fantasy that he may quit golf and join the Special Forces, despite being in, an er- in his early 30s and one of the most famous people in the world. In one weekend in 2007, Tiger Woods reportedly jumped out of a plane 10 times. In fact, the injuries that plagued him to this day are likely a result of that training, not golf, including an accident where his knee was kicked out from underneath him in a military exercise, clearing a building. There he was, rather than enjoying his wealth, his success, his family, cheating on his wife, playing a soldier in some sort of early midlife crisis, Mirror, mirror on the wall, we grow up like our daddy after all. A father of Earl, a friend of Earl, I apologize, and Tigers would say of the situation. 
Like so many of us, Tiger had unconsciously replicated the most painful and worst habits of his parents. Some have looked at the at those fruitful years, fruitless years after Tiger's return to golf as evidence that the selfishness in his previous life helped his game. Or that somehow they the work he had did in rehab opened wounds better left wound up. As if Tiger Woods, a human being, did, did not deserve happiness and existed solely to win trophies and entertain us on television. For what is a man profited, Jesus asked his disciples, if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? It's a question we must ask ourselves. Cheating and lying never help anyone in the long run, whether it was done at work or at home. In Tiger's case, it was that he was so talented he could get away with it until he couldn't. Eventually, one has to say the E-word enough, or the world says it to you. In one sense, his father's training has succeeded. Tiger Woods was mentally tough. He was a cold-blooded and talented, but in every other part of his life, he was weak and fragile, bankrupt and unbalanced. That stillness existed only on the golf course. Everywhere else, he was at the mercy of his passions and urges. As he worked the crowd out of distractions, anything that would get in the way of his concentration addressing the shot, each shot, he was also crowding out so many other essential elements of his life. An open heart, meaningful relationships, selflessness, moderation, a sense of right and wrong. There are not just important elements of an unbalanced. These are not just important important elements of a balanced life. They also source. They are also the sources of stillness that allow us to endure defeat and enjoy victory. Mental stillness will be short-lived in our hearts and f- on fire, or our souls ache with emptiness. We are incapable of seeing what is essential in the world if we are blind to what's going on within us. We cannot be in harmony with anyone or anything if the need for more, more, more is always gnawing inside of us like a maggot. When you live a life where you're lying all the time, life is no fun, Tiger would say later. When your life is out of balance, it's not fun. When your life is solely and exclusively about yourself, it's worse than not fun. It's empty and awful. Tiger Woods just wasn't a solitary man. He was, like so many of us in the modern world, on an island. He might have been famous, but he was a stranger to himself. No one who reads about his endless affairs gets the sense that he was enjoying it or that they brought him much pleasure. In fact, it was almost like he wanted to get caught so he could get help. We don't need to judge Tiger Woods. We need to learn from him from both his fall and his long journey back to winning the Masters in 2019 at 43 years old with a fused back with his own young son cheering him on because he shares the same flaws, the same weaknesses, and have the same potential for greatness if we are willing to put in the work. So that was just a piece from that book, Stillness is the Key, and it's called The Domain of the Soul, which is something that I feel like I haven't addressed personally myself or in certain circumstances. So I thought that for this conversation was conversations with Al, I would be a cool segment to read over and then something for you guys to ponder on and myself. Um, Thank you guys for listening. This was episode number 37.